Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How'd You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Aubrey Bergauer, who is CEO of Changing Their Narrative. Hi, Aubrey. Lovely to have you on the show. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So let's dive straight into the questions. Perhaps we can start off with an introduction as to who you are and an answer to the main question of the podcast, which is how do you do it and why should I care? Sure. I, as a very broad overview, I work in classical music and most people know me from my work as executive director of the California Symphony. That's an orchestra in the Bay Area, just based in the East Bay. And for those of you who don't know classical music at all, that's okay. And that really, truly is probably why we've had success because of that orchestra. My whole, my whole world has been classical music all growing up. And along the way, I've just really come to believe what so many others believe, which is that classical music is, it can be elitist, can be exclusive, can be all these stereotypes that let's be real have been associated with the art form. And even having come up in the industry, I have just become known for championing, changing the narrative of all of that. So at that orchestra, over the five years I was there, we nearly doubled the audience, quadrupled the donor base, really defying the trends of the orchestral industry. And so with that, you, you know, a regional orchestra has success. Before that, my experience was in Seattle at Seattle Symphony, Seattle Opera, and the Bumpershoot Music and Arts Festival, so leading institutions. And all of this is to say, you know, you start growing your audience and donor base in an industry that on the whole is on the decline and mm. it, it gains national visibility. So from there, I was, it turned into a side hustle and this eventually gets to answer the question of, you know, this business of changing the narrative side hustle, consulting with other arts organizations, really helping them see that yes, change is possible. Growth is possible, even in an art form like classical music, but it does mean we have to really change our approach to inclusivity, our approach to belonging, our approach to the customer experience, which are all these things that every industry, especially every B2C business and industry is facing right now. So by embracing all of that, we saw tremendous growth, which I was then able to parlay into this consulting business called Changing the Narrative. Awesome. So I'm very curious, what inspired you to join this industry? Were you playing an instrument from a very young age and then it kind of turned into a consulting interest? I'm very curious. Most people in arts management come to arts management later in life. Either they started off as a performer or an artist of some sort and then, you know, pivoted paths along the way. And that's fine. But for me, since high school, I've wanted to manage an orchestra. So I did play an instrument growing up. I played the tuba, which any about, I know you all can't see me, but just trust me, I don't look like a tuba player. And, but I know for a podcast where I'm speaking to mostly women, that kind of became part of my identity as this person breaking stereotypes. I, you know, at the age of 12, when I first started playing, like learning that I was had some talent and was beating all the boys. And I really loved that element. And just, again, just breaking those stereotypes. And that just became such a part of me. And so from there, I was a serious musician growing up. And fast forward to, uh, I grew up in Houston. I won the audition for the Houston Youth Symphony. Wow. And won that audition in eighth grade. There's one tuba player in the orchestra and I won it. And then fast forward a couple years being in the orchestra by my sophomore year of high school, the orchestra went through an executive director change. And I remember before rehearsal one day, them introducing this new person to all of us kids in the orchestra. And they didn't say much. They probably said a sentence or less about what that was. But 
for me, that was the light bulb moment. I'm, you know, sitting in the back of the orchestra with my tuba and realizing, oh my gosh, there's a job managing this entire operation. And that's the job I want. Mm -hmm. So it just was a real aha moment for me that I could be so deeply connected to this music, but not perform for the rest of my life, which as much as I love the tuba (laughs) was not, not what I wanted. And I always was, you know, a serious student in school and really interested in, even at a young age, things that we now call company culture, moving people along toward a vision, all of these things that are very necessary for, for leadership roles. And again, again, that was just the light bulb moment where I said, that's what I want to do. So that was, that's the origin story right there. Awesome. And following on from that, it seems, you know, you had a lot of experience in music and you obviously knew from a very young age that this is the kind of the role you wanted to pursue, but what were the best resources that helped you along your career journey? Hmm. Best resources. Okay. Let's see here. I would say it's always looking outside the industry. So Mm. classical music can be unfortunately very insular. Every orchestra is looking at what every other orchestra is doing, which in itself is fine. You don't want to ignore what other orchestras are doing, but where I have found success again, is changing that narrative is breaking that stereotype. So looking outside the industry. So for me, that means, looking at what's working in Silicon Valley, if we think of all of the companies that are, (coughs) excuse me, quote unquote, disrupting an industry, (coughs) excuse me, Um, companies that are disrupting an industry, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are, are disrupting an analog disrupting or enhancing is another way to say it. What was Mm -hmm. otherwise an analog experience. So Airbnb technology helped, disrupt this analog experience of hospitality and staying in a hotel. Uber, Lyft disrupted the analog industry of taxis, right? And can go on and on with these different examples. Um, gosh, Robinhood, Elvis, Betterment, disrupting, investing, all these things. And so seeing what these businesses have done and how they've used tech to enhance a customer experience, to create a better um, product, that has been so compelling to me. And so much of what I've done in classical music really uh, borrows from that and mm. borrows from those successes. So for me, that's been huge is just looking outside of the industry. UX research, not a word that said a lot in classical music, yet so foundational to understanding your customer and making changes. And it's not rocket science. You listen to what people have to say and you make changes in response to it. And then look at your customer base grow. So I could go on and on, but really just the idea of just reading, 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 taking what's happening elsewhere, just really being attuned to that and and applying what's working elsewhere. Yeah, that's really great. And uh, following on from that, were there any lessons that you wish you would have known before joining the industry? Because obviously you'd had experience, you know, on one side as a player, but then as a director, you know, what, what did you wish you would have known? I think you know, as a musician, what you're taught and anybody who's played an instrument, especially in an ensemble of any kind, probably has experienced a version of this, what you're taught as a musician is to blend. You want to blend in with the people around you. You want to not stick out. You want to, um, you want to be perfect. It's about sort of this like perfect execution and athleticism almost, especially at these, you know, top tier levels. And that that, that it took me a long time to break out of that as a leader and realize that uh, 
the more the more I do stick out, the more I plant a stake in the ground for the, the things I believe, the values I have, the the vision I have for the industry, the more I used to be afraid. I used to think I had to blend in in interview as I, my career was growing. I used to think I had to like get the interview questions right or you know we talk about interviewing for fit at a company and just how that can be really rife with bias and and I I just I think I really fell into that early on in my career so I would tell my younger self no what I've learned since then is no the more you do plant that stake in the ground of what you're about what you believe in the more what happens is it attracts people to you who share those values who share that approach who share that you know, whatever that is, that belief system is and, and share and want to be a part of that. And so the, the more I've become confident about that, the more I've put that out there in my blogs and social media and my speaking engagements, the more it's actually propelled my career when I used to be afraid of it. So don't blend, own it and, yeah. and get out there. That's awesome. And I'm so glad you learned from that. And on a similar note, speaking about learning from experiences over the span of your career, what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, that's a good question. Biggest failure. Oh my gosh. I think, I think in, in many ways it's, uh, I think it was believing that the change had to come from the product, I think, you know, so much of the time in classical music, we tend to think, oh, if we just played more Harry Potter in concert, more people would come. Or if we just did the Dia de los Muertos concert, we would have more Latinx people in our audiences. And those statements are not untrue, but what happens is things get to be so siloed. And it made me realize that, no, it's not just, um, and those audiences don't come back. The statistic nationwide is that 90% of first-time attendees at an orchestra never come back again. Mm. So when I really started diving into what is causing that, it became clear to me that it's not the it's not the product, it's the packaging. It's mm. not the repertoire. My vision is that we grow audiences that like all music, all kinds of music. And yeah. classical music can really span so many different styles, so many different literally like hundreds of years centuries of music and repertoire. So if we start developing an audience about that and so many composers that are not part of the quote unquote traditional canon, white Western European, like, no, we have so much more to offer. And so when we start embrace, this sort of goes back to like living your values, I guess, but when we start embracing all of that in everything we do, it's not just do the Harry Potter concert for young people. It's, or millennials, it's, you know, it's, or do the, do the bring in the mariachi band or do the black history month concert, nothing wrong with those things, but let's go a little deeper than that. And when we start letting these values permeate everything we do, for example, we will have black composers across our entire season because there is fantastic work that needs to be heard. And we're not going to reserve that just for February only. Same thing with our uh, players on stage. Let's have, let's talk about our audition processes so that we're bringing on the full spectrum of talent available to us. So that's a mistake I made early on is thinking that the programming was the problem. The programming was the solution instead of really thinking more richly about it as well as thinking about the packaging how do we make it accessible for audiences mm. no definitely and I'm glad you kind of figured that out quite early on in your career and you could use that and then um next question is sort of what advice would you give to somebody who is wanting to pursue a career similar to yours I would say have a growth mindset 
our, which maybe sounds so, oh my gosh, as the words come out of my mouth, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's probably so <laughs> like often said or so trite or something. But I, I think that especially true in the arts, our offstage training and our offstage talent does not often match our onstage talent. Like I said, most people don't come to arts management until a little later in their careers. Everything we're taught as musicians, these training programs go all the way to these fantastic conservatories and music programs across the country. There's not an equivalent of that for the management side. And so I think to be a great arts leader, true probably for any industry, but this idea that you have got to self-develop, that um, you have got to like take your professional development and growth and career into your own hands. I used to think that somebody else would help grow me. I would have a great boss that would really help grow me and develop me. And those bosses are out there. Of course they are. And some companies are much better than others about developing their employees and having that trajectory. But I think that's what I would say is just have that growth mindset and and be the one to be like, I am driving this bus. Nobody else is, and nobody else cares as much as I do about my own career. That's for sure. So really, really take that. Yeah, definitely. Be your own best advocate is definitely something that pops into mind when you said that. And um, following on from that, what is one common myth about your profession that you'd like to debunk right here, right now? Mm, That young people, whether that's millennials, Gen Z, whoever, don't like classical music. I would like to debunk that because, like I said, it's not just doing more Harry Potter or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that, again, but it's about creating this inclusive environment that says, no matter who you are, you are welcome here. It doesn't matter when you applaud. There's so many of these unspoken rules about when to applaud or not, like, stop. Let's, we're going to knock that off, at least in my orchestra. So um, it's about creating an environment that says you are welcome, that we are in the business as an organization of education, not just selling another ticket, that we want to create a place that is fun. Nobody talks about classical music being fun enough. Mm-hmm. So let's change the way, let's change our, our vernacular here. So that's what I, that's what I would like to debunk. And then when we start changing again, the packaging that different environment, the way you're going to learn, the way we talk about the art form and that it's not so snooty or hard to access. When we change all of those things, the product, the music itself actually remains really wonderful. And, you know, you get 80, 90 people on stage together playing their instrument at the highest level. Uh, for a major symphony orchestra, it's harder to get a job the per- percentage wise than it is to become a pro athlete. Like that mm-hmm. is the level of skill and selectivity we're talking about. Like when you go see that, like I said, 80, 90 people on stage playing together at that kind of level, it's it's not the product, it's the packaging. Music itself is so dang good. Definitely. And I'm sure you're very busy at the moment being a CEO, but what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you? Mm, okay, I recently just finished Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And so much of what she was saying matches like some of the themes of this conversation where she's really just like, be be who you are and don't oh god so many quotes in that book but one I've been saying a lot is um don't let anybody basically okay if you're confident and you are living your life doing your thing how anybody else responds to that confidence is their problem not your Mm -hmm. problem and it's just all filled with all kinds of messages like that where I thought yeah this is some good stuff in here so untamed Glenda Doyle Awesome. And um, next question is a bit of a hard question, but who are three people in your life who have been the most influential to you? And I'm sorry, it had to be only three. Oh my gosh, this is, this is hard. Okay. I'll say 
I'll start within classical music and then I'll branch out. In classical music, I got to say, Deborah Borda, she is the CEO of the New York Philharmonic. She was the first woman to manage a major symphony orchestra. So in an industry that can be very antiquated, she was the woman who broke the glass ceiling and now to this day is leading the New York Philharmonic. And so um, meeting her early on in my career and having watched her and followed her so closely since, she's been you know, a total icon and inspiration. Other than that, outside of classical music, I would say Adam Grant. I love psychology. I love organizational mm-hmm. psychology. I think if I wasn't in classical music, I think I would be an organizational psychologist. I just, I, I just love it. I could watch him, read him, all kinds of stuff all day long. And then a third, oh my gosh, I think I got to go with somebody like RBG or something where I'm just mm-hmm. like, such a common answer, I'm sure, but just the way she dedicated her whole life to fighting for gender equality is just, um, and just being so, so badass at everything she did at every level way before even the Supreme Court is just so inspiring. And um, I just want my work to have a fraction of that kind of impact and meaning. For sure. And then finally, to round off our conversation, what is one piece of advice that you wish you gave yourself at any point? Hmm. I would say being smart isn't enough. I used to think that I had done all the right things. I had a great pedigree. I went to the right schools. I had worked for some big orchestras out of the gate and that all of that was enough to, to launch my career further. And it baked into that is I think naivety at best, but arrogance at worst, ignorance at worst. And so I would say, in addition to that, you've got to be able to bring others along. And I would say to myself, it's building relationships, casting and communicating a vision, and then empowering others around me, whether on my team, as my peer and my colleague later on, or now as direct reports, empowering others to, to execute that and realize that. So it's where the whole, I know, we got to do a whole lot more than be smart people, which I'm anyway, kind of embarrassed to say, but look, it's a lesson I learned along the way. Well, thank you once again, Aubrey, for taking the time to speak with me. This was truly a very engaging conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye.